Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. I am Sykes and this is my podcast. Now before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out the last episode with Pete Finnegan of Kid Durango. If you're one of those people who listened to the conversation, I hope you liked it and thanks for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home, and as always, there's beer and soda in the fridge. Now, I am sitting in my new studio room right now, just kind of looking around. The walls are blank, but some stuff's up. I got the turntable set up over here and the records. I got a lot of the recording equipment set up over here, and uh, yeah. Things are going well, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I just moved into a new house a couple weeks ago, which is why the show has been on a uh, temporary hiatus. That and the uh, the laptop situation, which we discussed in the last episode a little bit. But, you know, things are turning around. Things are coming back. I'm getting back on my feet, getting back into the swing of things. And I got a really fucking awesome episode for you today. Uh, my friend Scott Massey is on the show today, and for those of you who don't know Scott, he is a musician. You know, he's played in various bands, most recently a band called Storm King. He runs the Intervenus Music Collective slash record label. Uh, it's been a few things over the years, but he's put out a lot of really, really cool uh, underground metal hardcore-ish, heavy, weird releases. Um, He also is a father, which is something that's... I'm not a dad, so I don't know what the hell to talk about when it comes to that stuff, but I try. I try to talk to him a little bit about being a parent. And uh, also, he, along with his wife, run a thing called Black Yoga, which you may or may not have heard of. If you haven't heard of it, we're going to talk about it. So, yeah, what else do you fucking need to know? I don't know. Just, uh, let's, let's get to it. Let's just fucking do it. Sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking bait. Talking, 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 talking. That's good enough for me. All right. So, hey, Scott. Hey. (laughs) Um. Now it's funny because I feel like we have like a a friendship that's based real heavily on like internet presence. Like I feel like I've only seen you in person a couple times in real life, which is weird considering how much we've interacted with each other. Yeah. Through the, the magic of technology, which is good, you know. I do feel like I know you somewhat mm-hmm. through the internet and all the things that you've done over the years. So, which has been a lot of stuff, it seems like. Uh, from playing in bands to running, like, a label or a collective. I don't know what you would want to consider that. It's been both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, you know, now what you're doing with the black yoga stuff right. um, with, with your wife, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I don't know. Let's let's start at the start with you. 
Okay. Uh, what was your first favorite band? <laughs> My first favorite <laughs> band. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it depends. Like, uh, at what, at what level? I mean, okay, I'm, like, I'm a... like, we'll say like, like, so there's like, like your first, the first time you remember giving a crap about music, even if it's like, cause like, oh, so I talk to a lot of people when there's like that first embarrassing band, then right. there's like their first favorite band when they found out what right. music was. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> it started early. I mean, real early, uh, somehow somehow like second grade second third grade yeah, you sure. know so there was the first era uh and everything then like i remember my aunt she uh she traveled a lot and she was into art and culture and stuff i remember she made me a mixtape in like second grade or something okay. it had things like michael jackson and you know different you know because thriller had just came out i'm you know uh so i, ha I had this tape of that and different things like I remember liking I love rock and roll you know when I was in heavy rotation on the radio and stuff and uh, so I mean there was there was an era for that first couple years where it was really just what was around me and um, uh, I remember my first my first album that I ever owned was I got as a birthday present for my third or well not my third birthday but like uh, in third grade however old I was at that time but in third grade I got uh, the 12-inch single for Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick's uh, Lottie Dottie, yeah. right? So that was my first record. I remember my mom, like at the very, this was before uh, parental advisory stickers, but at the bottom, it still did have this little disclaimer on it that had a, that had a warning about the content. And my mom was like, uh, I don't know if you should listen to this. So she kept it in her room, but somehow it didn't really apply because anytime I'd want to, I could go into her room and listen to it somehow. Like, so, yeah. uh, like I remember memorizing all the lyrics to Lottie Dottie, you know, third grade. And I'm like, <clears throat> so I guess that was my first era. And that was when like, uh, the fat boys and UTFO and the real Roxanne and all of them were, were big, you know? And so that, that was my first era. But then, um, I went to a private school at that time. It was a, a, a Waldorf school in Ohio. There's one around here now, but back then it was a real lesser known of a school, you know? And so I went to this school called Spring Garden and we were all into that same kind of thing. But then um, in fourth grade, uh, after third grade, I switched into public school system and everything changed, like everything sure. changed at that time. And uh, uh, so I remember there was this girl that I really liked and she was into Motley Crue and uh so that changed everything like I became like so I got my first Motley Crue record that was right when uh you know Smoking in the Boys Room was in heavy rotation on MTV and um you know so I got that Theater of Pain album dubbed off of a dub off of a dub from a friend of a friend yeah, you know yeah. and uh and you know and I went backwards and I got shot at the devil and I got into like uh ozzy and metallica and you know all that stuff like was my first was my first real significant like this is when i started owning what i listened to yeah. you know that was when i like started claiming like this is my stuff right here this is this is what i do so so i guess motley crew really awesome. you know that <laughs> i love the concept of fourth graders being into motley crew yeah. it says a lot about like pop culture and how where music was then Right. versus where it is now it's yeah. like what are what do fourth graders like now well i'll tell you my son he's in uh he's seven years old he's in second grade and he uh his favorite band is l7 and he listens to uh eminem and he really likes your album oh you know so we got cool. your album and he's been listening to that <laughs> and he likes that and uh and he's uh i just bought him uh there's this group like i bought 
a magazine the other day that came with a CD sampler of Victory Records, which okay. let me just talk about how far like Victory modern, has like fallen to me. Modern-day Victory Records. Modern-day Victory yeah. Records. So, uh, but, you know, but they did have this song on it, uh, this group Sister Sin, and they, I don't know, I'd never heard of them before, but they got a female uh, lead, and uh, he's, he's real into that because my wife, she's got a huge influence on what he listens to because they spend a lot of time together and she's into a lot of like you know riot girl and chick bands and things like that and so he's picked that up and hence the l7 being his favorite group so the anyhow so this track on the on the victory sampler had um this sister sin song on it and he like he immediately like picked it he's like "Ooh, what's that let me see that cover you know and he started looking at it so i went home a a couple days later and i I bought that for him on itunes so i mean there he is you know in second grade and he's like fully engulfed in this music and and to me you know like like this victory sampler to me and my tastes is like i i there there wasn't a single song on it that i'd really really dig i mean some of it just sounds like re like rehashed corn stuff or rehashed like old hardcore but now with this pop twist and stuff you know whatever you want to call it you know it's just a sign that i'm old you know now (laughs) because now i listen to it and i'm just like what is this garbage but he loves it and you know and i fully support that and uh so that's that's where they're that's where they're at now who knows where it'll be at in fourth grade maybe this is going to be his first wave like you know the fat boys and utfo was my first wave maybe you know come fourth grade he's going to find the next the next motley crew or you know whatever new genre there is for him at that time and maybe he'll pick something up i don't know but uh there's that so um it's pretty interesting uh having a child i would imagine (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting yeah. um you said he's seven yeah okay so like around the time that um your wife was pregnant were you married at that point mm-hmm. okay um and where were you at like as far as your own personal creative things at the time whenever you found like oh hey i'm gonna be having a child and uh some things might need to change well uh I go through these cycles where I, I, I fully engulf myself in this art and music culture. Yeah. Uh, and I give it like everything I have until I burn out, you know, until I hit a wall. And then I usually take uh, anywhere from six months to a couple years off sometimes. And I just, you know, I, there's three times in my life that I can think of where I have quote unquote retired, you know, like, (laughs) fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. This is, you know, and then, you know, some time will go by and I realize that that's just not possible. You know, that's just, that's just not who I am, you know? So I I get that itch, you know, like I got to start doing things again. And ironically that started coming up right around the time she got pregnant. Uh, so I had been off for a couple years, like in 2004, um, well, from like 2000 to 2004, uh, 2001 is when we started the Intervenus uh, Collective or label or whatever it was, is. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then I was in this band Bottom Feeder and for like four years, like we had this big grandiose concept that we wanted to do. And, you know, we spent like three years writing and recording before we ever even played shows or anything like that. And we wanted to come out with this big production and, and I dumped like seven grand into it and all these hours and all this time. And then the band broke up before the album even came out and it just kind of crushed me. Okay. Uh, so I took, that was one that, that took a couple years to bounce back from, you know, and I just started, uh, you know, at that point, my wife and I, like we, we moved into a house and we bought a car and we did kind of like adult things for a couple years. And then, 
Um, and we, that, that's when, I, I don't know, that's when I started thinking I, I really need to get back into something. And so we started, uh, the, the last, the last full-time band I was in Storm King, we started that in 2006. Uh, and my son was born in 2008. Okay. So like our first show, like Maddox was just born. Like he had, he had just been born you right spent then. spent that much time before playing a show? Yeah. Cause for a couple years, like I still remember, I mean, I was coming out of this thing where it was like, it wasn't just my, uh, it wasn't just my creative energy that was burnt. It was me just looking at the whole industry and kind of going, this is, this is fucked up. Like, you know, it was the age of the, the internet boom was just coming out and MP3s were taking over everything and everything was changing from the, from when I was a kid and everything that I had learned about, uh, what, what being in music was, was completely different then, you know, or at least that's when it started being different. Yeah. And so I didn't really know what to do with it, you know, and I'm like, I, I got to get out of this. So like when we, um, when Storm King first started, it was really just me and Tom and Adam and we weren't named yet. We were just three dudes, you know, who were all married guys. And we were all <laughs> like, um, I wanted to start just really a recording project. I wanted to, you know, I bought a bunch of gear and a bunch of equipment to start learning how to record my own music and, and things. And so, but I needed people, you know, to record with, I needed a, a band. And so we started jamming and, um, it wasn't until like, you know, it was real loose. It was real loose format. We were just getting together and drinking beers and smoking cigars and just being what at that time we considered was like the old married dudes. And granted, we were all like in our early 30s. So now I yeah. <laughs> now I look at that and I'm like old, like shit, man, you know, and um, but, you know, like when you're younger, like 30 is old, you know, like and then and now that I'm 38, like 30 is like pretty young you know and I still feel kind of young you know I never really anymore feel old I just feel like I'm here you know so so anyhow uh yeah it took us a couple years we were just jamming and doing cover songs and doing uh, just jamming around and I think we got like seven or eight songs over those two years that were original songs and then we decided well maybe we should play some shows so we added uh andy kitchy and mark bagaki to the band like just a couple months before we went into the studio to record and to play our first show so that that first like four songs demo was um just sort of last minute you know was, <laughs> you know and then it just went from there and it was seven and seven more years of that i guess you know only then it was more playing and more recording and more um but to go back to the original question, because uh, I have a habit of trailing off into it's other fine. things. So, uh, you know, Maddox just being born, it was really hard. It was really hard to have a um, this band that I was trying to do. Because, I mean, up until the time Maddox was born, I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do was play in bands and play music. I mean, inside, that's who I thought, you know, that, you know, let's just say that by this time in my life, I thought I would have arrived you know sure, like or, sure. or had done something by now but um so you were what like like 31 32 30, yeah point? 31 i guess yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm turning 30 this year okay and uh i don't know I, I i don't really care but there's a small part of me that just it feels a little weird mm-hmm. you know people are like yeah like oh it's your birthday like, you know it's like hey, my birthday's coming up and they're like oh how old are you gonna be and it's like having that come out of my mouth is a little weird. Yeah. I mean, what can I do? I'm, you get you know, over I'm it here. You like, get over it. You know what I mean? Like I said, like by the time, by the time that hits, 
you know, you, you don't stop, you know, you don't, there's no, there's no end point if that's who you are and that's what you do. So you just kind of got to, got to erase it. Like I was online the other day, you know, and, and there's this guy who was talking about, uh, you know, rock and roll being a young man's game and stuff like that, which, you know, I guess in a sense, I mean, you're not going to be Van Halen, you know, you're not, or I hope not, no. you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, it's almost silly, but at the same time, like, what do you expect? You know, like if that's who you are, like don't stifle that, that creative energy or something just because of a number of your age, you know, yeah. you just, and plus like you evolve, you evolve with that and, and your art and your music grows with you. So there comes a certain point where, you know, you're doing something that's relevant to who you are at that point. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I'm doing this band right now, this, this black yoga meditation ensemble and, you know, there's nothing over like 80 beats per minute, you know, and I come from thrash and death metal and tech metal background, you know? Yeah. So like it's, it's, it's completely evolved and now it's, uh, you know, some people could look at that and think, uh, whatever they want, really, like, it doesn't matter just as an artist, that's who I am and what I do. Same as you, like, you're going to, you're going to change formats of some sort. You're going to change how you do things and how you think about things. And you're going to be appealing to a different crowd anyhow. So, yeah. or the same crowd who's also getting older, you know? Very true. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny like, moving into this new place. I was, opening up boxes that I hadn't opened up in years, like stuff that was boxed from before I moved into my previous home, you know, and I was just going through, I found like all these old flyers for like my first album that I ever put out and right. stuff. Yeah. And, I saw one on Facebook yeah, yeah, the other so day. I hang on to all that shit. And I'm mm -hmm. just like sitting there like, this is so cool. I'm glad I have all this stuff, yep. but I can't believe how much stuff I have done. Yeah. You have I, done a lot of stuff that I feel yes. like a lot of people will never know about. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's cool. It's like, I, I, I love having these experiences. I just wish that it was easier to share it with everyone else. And right. like, but what, what is that? Like, what is that? Like, it's almost like, I don't really have an ego problem, but it's like, I want people to know what I've done. It's like, I do these things to share with other people. And it's so hard to get people to pay attention to it Wow. or get them to engage, you know? Well, a lot of people are, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't even touch that one really. I mean, it, People just do what they do, you know, unless there's something that's like beating them in the face, you know, yeah. that, that, that says, look at me, you know, they don't, they don't really pay attention. In a lot of cases, people are busy doing their own things. I know for me, and actually exactly. I saw you yeah. make a post the other day that was very similar to what I'm about to say, but like, and a lot of times, or maybe it was in a song, I think it was one of your lyrics where you were talking about being, uh, you know, not spending a dime and being too wrapped up in your own, yeah. in your own thing. And, and that's it, you know, like I know. I try and get out there and I try and support other people as much as I can. But ultimately it's like, this is my path. This is what I do as an artist. Now, if I was a scientist, it might be easier, you know, to pay more attention to what other people are doing musically because I'm focusing my energy on science and I'm listening to music as an enjoyment thing. But sure. like, because I'm a musician, I'm focused so hard on my stuff and trying to get that going. <clears throat> I mean, last year we were recording an album. And this happens to me every time I do an album. I'll spend a year listening to nothing but that album. I oh, mean, yeah. you've got like 300 mix versions. You've got like different arrangements. You've got all the stuff. I mean, from uh, January until August, I didn't listen to a single thing except for this project because I had, you know, I had to put it out. You know, it had to meet a certain quality from my liking. And so there I missed whatever came out between January and August. 
I mean, I probably missed because I was busy, you know, like I was doing other things and that's yeah. what happens, you know, and I try and go back and sometimes, um, sometimes I'll see like, uh, you know, like a crowdfunding campaign come up and I'll throw money at it just because I want to support people. But like a lot of times I don't even download the record that I paid for because I just like, I want to support, but I can't, you know, I can't take that time out to really like focus on something. And I'm the kind of person that like, if I get a new album, I want to like sit down and really engage myself into it, you yeah, know, sure. and, and, and listen to it and read the liner notes and look at the pictures and, you know, all that stuff, which is, you know, one of the things that the digital era has kind of like robbed me of because there's so many like, um, you know, my iPod is full. And so I know some of those songs, but I don't know anything about the bands. I don't know the song titles, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't know any of that shit because I hook that iPod up to my car and I throw it in my glove box and then that's it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, it's not as easy to pay attention to what those guys are doing yeah. anymore. So getting people to pay attention to you, it really comes down to like, like they can notice it for a second, but if they can't engage with it, it makes it harder, you know, like I like your, your last campaign a lot. Like you had all the different formats and everything had like substantial parts to like, to, yeah, this is something, you know, it's not just a, a plastic jewel case on a CD with a single panel, you know what I mean? Like insert card or something that has no information to speak of and nothing personal about the band at all. It doesn't really show off what they are more than just like, this is a container for my music. Yeah. You I know? mean, I think that it's like, both of us come from that era like pre-digital mm -hmm. and so it's like whenever i put out a product it's like i want i think about when i was a kid like flipping through the cd booklet or the album jacket whatever right. and i love that like in combination with the music mm -hmm. the what i'm curious about though is like kids that are coming up now and only know the digital era like what are they going to do when it comes to putting out physical media? Are they even going to? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's of course the surge of vinyl again right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, the nostalgia. I mean, you can say what you want about sound quality and things like that, but like, that's really just, first of all, it's a matter of preference. Second of all, like, I don't particularly know how real that is. I mean, some of the some of the sound quality arguments about vinyl have to do with like, oh, it sounds warm and blah, blah, blah. But like, ultimately, those are actually imperfections in the music, you know, in the ability, the capability of the vinyl. Yeah. You know, those those scratches and those pops yeah. and those, that warm, fuzzy sound is actually the vinyl's inability to capture the, the, the subtle nuances that are in there yeah. of the music. So... Um, you know, which is the better format? I don't know. It just depends on what you want, you know? And the yeah. only reason I've ever preferred something like vinyl is that I like getting this, the, the tangible product, you know, the big piece of, of cool art and the big piece of cool thing, you know, like you have this, you have this thing, you own it, you're holding it and oh, yeah. you can, you can interact with it, you know? It, yeah. It forces you to engage with it. Yeah. Like you can't just like. Like, I could plug in my phone into an auxiliary jack and right. just let music play. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. But if I put on a record, it's like I need to walk over every couple songs and change it. Right. And if something goes, it's just, it's more, it forces you to actually sit down and right. pay attention to be it. Be a part of it. You know, a lot of my records, I haven't, I don't even, 
I don't even play them a lot of times. A lot of times I'll buy a record and I, I really like the, the idea of getting the record with the download codes and with the stuff. So you get the highest quality yeah. files that you can get of the audio. Cause that's a lot of the problem with digital media is that a lot of times just the quality of the file itself is shitty. So like if you get a real, yeah, there's, there's, there's so that's going back to like the, the vinyl versus MP3 versus CD. Mm -hmm. There's too many factors. It's yeah. like, the the Paul like the quality of your record is gonna depend highly on what kind of turntable do you have what what's your receiver what are your speakers what right. kind of cables do you got what's the needle in your turntable yep. like oh, is it in, is it is your outlet grounded yeah all that bullshit and it's the same thing for MP3s it's like oh well what bit rate was that right MP3 made at and then still like what's your auxiliary cable like what's the sound card in your phone like right like how much do you want to nitpick mm -hmm. the sound quality you know but to the and, and we're talking about this as two people who have worked in audio for the better part of our lives. Yeah. So like those those little things make a, more of a difference to us, whereas the common person doesn't notice that oh, stuff yeah. as much. So it doesn't matter to a lot of people. You know, what I mean, it doesn't matter that they get this, you know, real shitty MP3 file because they almost it's almost like their ears aren't they're not even hearing that that clipping or that those little like. Yeah, I mean, they're like listening to music yeah. like off, off of their laptop. I know a lot of people that that's just how they listen to music. Right. I was talking to somebody else who had a friend that went to Full Sail. And there's a class at Full Sail that's specifically uh, mixing and mastering music for, like, laptop speakers for the digital age. Like, learning how to mix something kind of shitty so it sounds better through shitty things because right. that's how people are consuming things. See, and then, you know. <laughs> yeah right so what are you gonna do with that you know what are, what are you gonna do with that then you know it's the same as like you know before it was always just like you had to you had to master for your cd version and then you had to have a separate master for your vinyl version but now you got to have a separate version for your digital version too you know like you but then what's going to happen when you know someone gets that shitty mix or that shitty master rather of uh of the mp3 version but like then they're playing it through their really good system you know and it's, uh, i don't yeah, know it's just a, a band that I was in some time ago, somebody else uploaded our album to YouTube and it was like the quality of the recordings weren't that great to begin with. Mm -hmm. Then they downloaded it from who knows where, then re-uploaded it and it just, it sounded like hell. Everything. And, and yeah. like, and like there was like comments like, oh, like this album sounds really good, but why is the sound quality so bad? Like why'd they record it like this? And it's like, well, we didn't record it like this, right. you know, like you got to. It's kind of like uh, dubbing the tape of the tape of the tape. Right. You know, that's it. That does happen with MP3s to some extent. Exactly. If, especially if somebody doesn't know what they're doing whenever they're like converting the stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, plus like, I mean, uh, with Pirate Bay, Napster, all the all the download sites. You know, I mean, you get you get things. You know, a lot of people's collections. You know, agree with it or not, a lot of people's collections are filled with illegally downloaded material and where did that come from you know what i mean where did that come so what they're here what they're down oh yeah i get this free record but they get this record and it could be you know it could just be a real horrible quality oh, yeah we uh we just put the gray walker album onto itunes and spotify and everything and the day that it hit spotify it was like automatically uploaded onto youtube under like a dozen different accounts hmm. and i feel like there's just like there's some weirdos somewhere in some bunker 
that have like some sort of algorithm that anytime something is uploaded to these websites, they're able to pull that audio and like mm-hmm. just automatically upload it right. to like their their things. And then you could go in and be like, hey, take that down. I'm sure they will, but I really don't care. It's just like that and think that's just kind of answering your question. That's where stuff like this comes from. Right. People have figured out how to hack things whenever something gets uploaded to a site like iTunes or mm-hmm. – so that, that audio file is being transferred, mm-hmm. like how hard would it be for somebody to just be like, hey, on the way, like copy, yeah. copy, copy. Well, I mean, yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. You know, people are just putting it out so that somehow, I don't know how it really benefits people, but I'm assuming somehow people are getting a benefit out of it who are actually uploading it the same way that like, um, uh, like, like writers – you know, they get paid based on clicks on the internet. You know, I'm assuming that like somehow by uploading so many albums to different sites, there's somehow monetary gain in there. I don't know. There might be a monetary gain or it might just be like some like internet justice warrior who's like, yeah, everything should be free, free media. Just right. like, you know, hanging out with a 12 box of Taco Bell. Right. Just like in his dark little cave, just every song ever made on like a billion <laughs> hard drives in a room i don't know yeah i want to meet that guy I, <laughs> yeah like, i do a podcast with that yeah guy. seriously like that would be awesome if you're uh, out there buddy <laughs> let's hook it up yeah yeah maybe he'll maybe he'll listen to this one so back sure back let's go back what was the first band you were ever in uh the first like working band or just like messing around i mean i started playing different instruments like your first how about your first show like what was like the first show you ever played like mm. well i was maybe 17 17 18 i guess maybe yeah uh you know because it at 16 is when i started trying to form the band that would end up becoming my first legit band um and then my first show was in a bar which was, you know, I'm from Akron and there was this, the, in Cuyahoga Falls right next to Akron, there used to be this bar called Ron's Crossroads. And it was kind of like a, like a biker bar uh, that would have shows and stuff. And we went in there and uh, we got a gig and we were so excited, you know, 17, 18, like, and I, I think I might've been the oldest person in, in the band. I'm not sure. So like, there was like a 15 year old, a 16 year old, yeah. a 17 year old, an 18 year old, you know, there was one older guy than me actually. So, you know, and we get a chance to go play in this bar and we're like, yeah, we've made it. They know we're awesome. And we go there and there were like six people there and the jukebox was playing, you know, <laughs> while we're trying to play. And I remember one time, like, you know, we were like, we kind of started as a, you know, like a, I was the only like kind of punk rocker in the band and the other guys were kind of like metal guys, you know, Megadeth and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. And so we were kind of this cross between like metal and a little bit of a punk attitude. And then we got this, the, this, the fourth member, finally the bass player. And he, he was a lot punker than the rest of us, you know, and he, uh, he tried to like for years to just make us punk rock. You know, we were always like, Hey dude, we're not a punk band. He's like, yes, we are. And I'm like, all right, we're, I guess we are, you know? I and- love that. Uh, <laughs> anytime you see a younger band, it's always like a hodgepodge of yeah. different, uh, like social stereotypes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like the one punk kid. And then there's like the, there's, we, uh, there's a band that's, uh, on get hip called the Knox boys and they like their singer 
guitar player looks like like a Buddy Holly wannabe, mm-hmm. and then like the drummer just looks like I don't know. He always has like a hoodie with like food on it and like curly <laughs> hair. Like he like like they're all like seventeen. Right. The other the kid that was playing bass, he's not playing bass with them anymore. But he was like always had like a headband, and, like a Led Zeppelin shirt on. Okay, it was just like this weird mixture of yeah. you know like. Everyone's, all, everyone's trying to be the individual. Yeah. You know, at that time, like, everyone wants to kind of stand out as being the individual. And no one wants to admit that when they're 17. You know, everyone's like, I'm just being unique, you know. <laughs> but ultimately, it comes, you know, when you're young, you know, and you're trying to get out there and get in, this, in the scene and stuff. Like, it just seems like a lot of people just want to be, you know, that dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know? All right. So, your band at uh, Ron's Bar or whatever it was. Yeah, Ron's, Ron's Crossroads. Ron's Crossroads. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. But, you know. <laughs> Uh, we got a tape from that night, and uh, still have it. Yeah, That's yeah. Sick. We we kind of took a bunch, or maybe it, maybe it wasn't that night. Maybe that night we kind of passed on the tape, but we played <laughs> we played there again, and we ended up getting a recording of it, and uh, we took a couple of you know the best songs, which were all horrible, and we took a couple of them and made our first tape which was a live tape uh cool. and i can't even remember what it was called now but that was our first sort what of was like, the band called the bully cats which was uh my sister i had a i had a sister who's 15 years younger than me and she used to like call me a bully cat like you're a bully cat like you know she'd uh-huh. be all mad and stuff and and that ended up just becoming our band name and that and which was kind of cool when we were this high school band but then we got older and we actually even switched states that's how i ended up living in pittsburgh because like we all moved to pittsburgh to sort of pursue our rock and roll from akron from akron isn't akron like a pretty good music scene Eh, i mean really good really good bands come out of akron okay uh but it's 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 very i've always you know the longer i live in pittsburgh or, you know, a while back, I, I sort of started realizing that Pittsburgh is really just kind of like a larger version of Akron. And, you know, it's just really good, really good bands. But the scene is kind of like it, it struggles a lot of times to really make it like a big breakout scene. So the the shows at times it was hit or miss. Like at times you could have like this really phenomenal show. And then that same band, you know, maybe they'll have a couple of them a row and think they're on a good, a good role. And then next thing you know, you're playing for like four people. And that just happens all the, yeah. all the time. And maybe that happens in every city. Cause I've only ever really lived in the two cities, but, um, but yeah, I've, uh, I, com- I compare the two cities a lot. Like this is just a bigger version. I mean, that's the, that was the rubber capital of the world where the steel nation, you know, it's very industrious towns, just, you know, a little, little different, Sure. but so I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if it's good or not, but we wanted to just move somewhere bigger, okay. you know, somewhere. And, and some of it, some of it didn't have to do with it. Some of it just had to do with, I had to get out of town. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just gotta go, you know, I was having some, some personal life problems. Sure. I mean, I just, I was 18 or 19. I think when I moved here, 20, I don't know. I think I was 20. I think I had just turned 20 when I moved here. And, um, and it was kind of like, Shit's hitting the fan everywhere. I got to move somewhere else. And, uh, you know, I knew this chick who was from Akron who ended up going to Pitt, and I, I moved in with her, and, and the rest of the band kind of came. We all got this house in Oakland and just – just When Oakland was cool. Well, I don't know. I don't know what it's like now. I mean, uh, now, like I said, I'm way out of that, you know, college yeah. kind of area scene, so I don't know. And, and even then I was on a lot of drugs and drunk all the time, so I don't really remember. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was, was kind of cool. I mean, we had some really cool scenes. We had some cool house parties. I mean, I had a house party one time with like 250 people jammed into my house, you know, three bands playing. So, 
you know, so I guess there were times when it was the coolest thing ever. But, you know, like I said, there were other times that it was just hard to get people to even even notice at all that you existed, yeah. you know. Yeah. I guess it's funny. I guess that never that's one thing that hasn't changed at all. Mm. It's probably only gotten harder because people are more distracted now right. with a thousand different things. I guess. I guess. You know, the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone can everyone can stay just at home and, you know, watch things and listen to things and download their mp3s and listen to them in their car and you know watch these you know someone has their cell phone at a show so they can take videos and and pictures and stuff and no one really has to be at the event anymore to kind of get a feeling of the experience like oh i can see that show it's right there you know someone just took it upon themselves to like record the whole thing which you know i'm not knocking i actually think that's kind of cool that people do that yeah but it does also lead to why it's not so important to go out anymore. You know what I mean? Because you can save the money, you can drink at home, you can, you know what I mean? You can do all these things and you can still see the things. And, and then, you know, if it's a local circuit or whatever, you're going to run into that dude down at the fucking coffee shop anyhow. So, you know, it's, yeah. you know, what, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, how have you noticed, uh, We'll say like like your son's interaction with the internet and technology. I don't know how much you allow him to interact with, but I I'm think it'd be pretty interesting just to see like uh like what new like new like new eyes in the world today versus what it was like when we were seven or eight years old, you know. Right. Um he started using our laptop when he was like two or three. Like he started you know, immediately picking up on it, like wanting to get on it. Cause we were, you know, my wife's a graphic designer. I've been into music. So like we were always on the computer for one thing or another. So, you know, and then our smartphones are always around. And then when you've got kids, sometimes if you're out at a restaurant and you know, you want the kid to shut the fuck up, like you just hand him your phone <laughs> and you know what I mean? And he can play angry birds or whatever. So like they, they kind of get that, um, they kind of get that mm, feeling for it pretty quickly earlier you know it's like uh but you know as far as music goes or anything he he doesn't really do a lot of searching for that kind of stuff yet he's real into his xbox so he's like super into you know he watches these uh youtubers who are talking about the video games and stuff and he's real into that i mean he can go online and and now he's to the point where if he gets a new game and he's having trouble with it he can go on youtube and he can find one of his guys talking about this game and he can you know find out what he needs to do in the sure. game so you know I think that's awesome. I mean, you know, he's he's got the tools and he's uh, intuitive enough to know, you know, and I didn't teach him that. I mean, he, he taught himself that kind of stuff. And I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, I showed him how to, you know, open the Internet. I showed him where, you know, I made a, you know, when he was younger, I made a couple bookmarks on the Internet so he could get to YouTube easy so he could find things. And, um, you know, some of his favorite stuff I would like make just like bookmarks or whatever so that he could go to him. And so, uh, but now, now that he can get to YouTube through his Xbox and he can do all that stuff, like he just, he has it all there. Um, you know, and his, his phones or whatever, you know, and, and, and he's pretty cool about it. Like he, Hey dad, uh, this is asking if I want to buy this. No, you do not want to buy that. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, whatever. And, and as a parent, uh, you know, the internet, 
it's so big. I just kind of like, I just got to pop my head in a lot, you know, and I kind of like no closed doors and things like that. You know, I kind of got to make sure I know what he's doing. Um, Cause some things are, some things are a little bit scary now in the internet age uh, that I kind of worry about. But, um, but you know, ultimately like you just, you just got to set some guidelines and you got to be an attentive parent in order to sort of like steer that. I was reading this article the other day with uh, D Snyder, of Twisted Sister, yeah. and he was talking about back in like 1980, we'll just say 85, I don't really remember the year, but in the mid 80s, there was this, you know, the big uh, uh, Supreme Court hearing mm-hmm. that had to do with uh, putting parental advisory stickers on albums and things like that and the censorship, and it was him and was Dee Snyder and John Denver and Frank Zappa were all in this trial together because they were all like subject of, of censorship a lot, and so they ended up getting them uh, yeah, John Denver. That was a surprise yeah. to me. I actually, you know, I was too young at that point to really realize what was going on. I mean, I knew it was happening, but like watching this was was funny. But so John Denver and and D. Snyder. But D. Snyder was talking about, uh, you know, he really, you know, being part of that crew and part of that original fight against censorship and against the, you know, labeling of everything. And, you know, a lot of his argument didn't have anything to do with kids should just be able to listen to or watch whatever they want. It had to do more with it's not it's not some outside entity of the government to determine what's right or wrong for your child. It's a it's a parent's it's a parent's responsibility. Yeah. And there was actually an argument back from Al Gore at the time with which was, do you do you honestly think that we should sit down, you know, take the time to sit down and and listen to every album that our kid gets? And he's just like, well, yeah, you know, yeah, it is your responsibility. You have a kid. It's it's you know, it's not a fair world. It's not a fair thing to be a parent. Like, yeah, yeah, it's you have to take that time, you know. And then he was talking, you know, flashing forward. He was talking about, you know, having kids of his own, you know, and he tries to put, you know, all of those things into application now in his own life. So he was talking about how um, uh, about the time that that uh, Stan from Eminem was real big. His kid was 12. You know, and he, you know, so his kid comes home with this Eminem album and he wanted to listen to it. So it was, you know, at, at that time, it was D. Snyder's responsibility to listen to this album with his kid. And he said two things happened that day. The first thing that happened was I became an Eminem fan. Yeah. <laughs> and the second thing that happened was it gave me an opportunity to talk to my kid about all the issues that were coming up. And, uh, and I thought that was pretty amazing. And as a parent, that's exactly what I had done with my son. Like I said earlier, my son listens to Eminem sometimes, you know, and Eminem's got some fucked up things, you know, and that was one of the first things that I ever talked to about with Maddox was saying, hey man, this guy is fucked up. You know, he's a great (laughs) rapper, you know, and he's got, you know, he's got music you're gonna like, but I want you to know that these lyrics that he's talking about and some of the things that he's saying, these are just stories that this guy is telling, you know, this is not real life. This is not how you act. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, and so, and there's still certain songs that like, I kind of like, like there was this, like there was this song on this album where he was talking about getting raped by a stepdad, you know? And, uh, you know, so I always skip that one, you know, <laughs> and things like that. Like there's just certain things that at like six or seven, I mean, they are, they are inappropriate, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, um, you know, just like with anything, you know, like you, you can't blame, uh, Eminem for how your kid turns out, you know, like as a parent, you have to be responsible for raising them with enough integrity and enough, like, um, what, what kind of morals are you instilling them with? 
You know, I can listen to the most fucked up music in my life. Like my whole life, I've played violent video games and I'm not a violent person. You know, I've listened to, you know, uh, misogynistic music and, you know, I've been married for 13 years and, you know, I'm, I, I try not to be, you know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah. I, I never say get in the kitchen, you know what I mean? Like I'm not like that. It's just, you know, and I think some people get, get stuck on that sometimes. And, you know, maybe like, maybe if we were just uh, a little bit more in tune with ourselves and then we could pass that on to our children, it would be okay. Um, but it's the same thing with the video games, you know, because then again, back to the D. Snyder article, he was talking about, you know, so, okay, so I became an Eminem fan and then I got to talk to my kids about what these issues are. And then a few months later, he came home with that Grand Theft Auto video game and he was playing that game. And I walked into his room and I said, what you playing? He says, Grand Theft Auto. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm shooting cops in the face. And I said, and you don't need to own that anymore. You know what I mean? So we took that game because it's like, you know, there's, there's certain levels of things, you know? Yeah. And, and again, it, uh, it was right in line with my way of thinking. Maddox plays all these games. He plays video games all the time and he loves these uh, first person shooter games. And you know, there's always some uh, hairy elements in there, some things yeah. that are questionable, but um, I'll break it down to two games. I'll break it down to Grand Theft Auto and to Far Cry 3, I think it was, which is one of his favorite games. And uh, you're essentially doing the same things. You're driving around in cars or you're running around and you're killing people and you're doing all this stuff. But the difference is, is like in, uh, in Far Cry 3, you are, you're, you're, it's someone's birthday. Like the game starts out with this cutscene, and it's someone's birthday and you're flying and you're going parachuting, uh, skydiving for their birthday or whatever with all your friends and your brothers there. And you jump out, everyone jumps out of this airplane having a great time and they land on this beach and they're like, yeah, this is awesome. We're having a great time. But they ended up landing on the wrong Island and all these drug cartel dudes come out and grab them all and throw them in cages. Right. And your brother used to be this military guy. So your brother breaks you two out and you're going to find your friends but then like in the first five minutes of the game your brother gets killed and you're left on your own with no skills no anything and you have to go find your friends to, to rescue them so you're going around and you're still killing all these people but you're doing it because so, yeah there's you, like some sort of like a purpose there's a purpose get, to yeah. it you know that i can get behind like if you were skydiving with your friends and you got grabbed by a bunch of drug dudes and thrown in cages i mean you do the exact same thing yeah that's a pretty cool concept for a game i had no idea so yeah about you know and, and um <laughs> You know, so there's language in there, but like I swear, my wife swears. It's not like we're gonna like shelter him from that. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's stuff that he's gonna hear. Yeah, and, and he there's things that you know, like things that he's gonna see without like that you can't control. Right. So it's like, but what you can control is trying to be like the person to like let him know that these things exist. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and it's just probably tricky finding the right time to talk about the right things and present the right things. Yeah. Yeah, so there's other, so I, I just, you know, and I went to the game store, we, we buy a lot of games at the GameStop, because the mall's right down by my house, and um, so I, I made friends with the manager, so that I can go in there, because like, I haven't really played video games a whole lot since I was younger, and they have definitely changed, you know, when he made that switch from the, yeah. when he made that switch from the Nintendo Wii to the Xbox 360, I mean, it was just 
a world of difference. And I, it was a culture shock that I, I kind of knew was coming, but I wasn't totally prepared for when it happened. I mean, it went from being like, let's play Donkey Kong and, you know, with the family to like, let's shoot people in the face and run around and, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I'm like, oh, and now all of a sudden there's like sexual situations in games and there's things like that. So I had to learn about the rating systems of games. And I downloaded an app on my phone that like not only tells you the ratings of the games, but it explains to you why it got this rating. So it'll like, it'll, it'll write out like all the reasons, like why it got this rating. So I'm like, okay, so now I can go in there and I can see like, okay, um, so we can play this game because it's a shooter game and there's violence and there's blood and there's things like that. But, you know, maybe he can't play this game because in this game, uh, Fable 3, uh, my brother bought him Fable 3 innocently enough, just he got him an Xbox game or whatever. And then I never even played the game because I opened up the booklet and right on like page four of the booklet real big letters it says sex and it talks about how like when you're walking through the town you can go buy hookers and i'm like nah this isn't this isn't it you know what i mean this isn't what he can have you know so um because what seven-year-old needs to be walking down the street buying hookers you know no matter whether it's a video game or real life like it's just like it's putting something in his head that doesn't really need to be there at this point you know sure when he's you know when he's a little bit older like like a like maybe middle school or high school like because he's pretty advanced now obviously you know for being seven i mean he's pretty advanced so he can play some of this stuff and maybe when he's a little older and has an even further understanding of the difference between some uh, right and wrong kinds of stuff maybe then but until yeah. then but i'll know yeah, it's, or at least it, i'll hope i'll know. I it, know it's really i'm always interested in the uh the concept of the like well like the violent shooting stuff blood stuff is like okay like we can we can get around this it's mm-hmm. fine it's a game but then like the sex stuff is like oh sex mm-hmm. that's weird sex is like a a funny thing i think it's like an american feeling right of like how weird america is when it comes to sex that's all marketing i mean sex yeah. has been like really pushed in our in our society i mean it, it 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 just has i mean everything is sexualized everything is is just in your face tits and ass all the time yeah. you know and and I, it's funny because you know here you can really like market off of that and get away with it whereas i think in other countries you probably can't because either it's super illegal or they're just um, not as sexual like sexual everything's been like they're desensitized to it like like if like in like where is it like in like england or something they, they'll have like nudity and ads and it's like right. whatever it's like not a, they're used to it it's not, it's not a big, not a big deal. deal right yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's great i mean different culture i haven't done a lot of world travel so i can't tell you particularly about like what it's like in other societies but i i've heard the same you know what i mean and, and i do notice that uh, just by being alive here in the here and now and looking around at, you know, everything you see is somehow sexualized and even things that are subtle are, you know, they're really emphasizing on, you know, breasts and masculinity and, you know, this and, and where it doesn't even need to be like, I, you know, now that I'm doing a, a lot of things in this, uh, in the yoga world, I'm, I'm starting to notice things that are like, even, even there where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Some of the bigger yoga publications and some of the bigger things, it, it doesn't escape it. You know I mean? Yeah. It's the same way. I mean, they're, they're just the same as like any other magazine details or Maxim or anyone else. I mean, they're showing like really attractive women in scantily clothed doing like poses that emphasize like ass and, you know, 
it's the same it's the same across the board you know and it's it it's almost to the point where it's like it's not the publication it's all of us it's all of us like no one's gonna buy something that isn't anymore oh, yeah, sure you know? i mean the publications wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't what the people wanted to see mm -hmm. so that's what sells you know i was just on this i was just on this group last night i'm in this yoga yoga teachers group people were talking about they were breaking down this magazine called yoga journal and someone went through the whole magazine from front to back and counted you know like how many how many hot women there were how many dudes there were how many pets there were how many ads there were i mean they really just broke down and, and put basically like put a spreadsheet of you know what this magazine entails and it was really leaning towards just the you know just the beautiful side of everything you know, and ultimately, like, I, I don't know, uh, yoga has nothing to do with that. <laughs> you know, it yeah. has absolutely zero to do with that. I mean, shit, uh, it, it's been pitched that way to a lot of people because people are looking for things to pitch, you know. But, like, you know, I know a lot of people. I remember, like, years ago hearing about that yoga butt, you know, like women trying to get the yoga <laughs> butt. And it's not even, like, you know, like, ultimately, like, yoga isn't even really a, you know, there's nothing about it that's weight loss or, or you know, it's not a fitness thing. It's really a, a state of mind, a, a mind, body, spirit thing. You know, there's, it's so much more. And uh, I mean, sir, you can get fit by doing it, but it's in combination with all the other lifestyle changes that you would make. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not really, it's a, you know, that's not what it is. It's not a diet. It's yeah, not a it's not like, like you can't uh, need more than a bottle of a one to make a steak right <laughs> right i don't know why i thought of that <laughs> <laughs> because the bottle of a one has nothing to do with a steak you know ultimately <laughs> yeah. like it's just some like some garnish you put on top of it to make yeah. it you know taste a little bit better i guess so i don't know at some point someone in the yoga world also realized that sex sells and put that out there as well you know it's a it doesn't well i'm sure if you're talking about like a publication right uh I'm sure whoever was in charge of that publication knows nothing about yoga, but maybe used to work at like Maxim or some other right. magazine. Like, hey, you know, I have experience doing this, and that's what sold that magazine. So we're going to sell your magazine. Well, that's what people want. I mean, oh, yeah. what, what people want, you know, because of what they've heard, because of the stigma that there is on being fit, looking good, staying young, being healthy, you know, everyone, you know, they think that that's what it is, you know, and then they're so they're selling it that way here so in America. How many hot thoughts? Or in the black yoga DVD? You know, I mean, there are some. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, but we have uh, we have a, a large gamut. I mean, it runs everything. I mean, because we weren't looking at it that way. Yeah, I, mean, we, I, I assume you weren't. Yeah. The fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Hot pods. We should talk about black yoga, I would, I would assume. All right. <laughs> so this... Was uh this was something that was going on for a while, right? Like yeah. the classes, um, yeah. and that started like when. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm kind of curious about like the transition of like turning it into like a music thing and making it like this big grand project. It seems like just talking to you about like oh like we're I had this band and we didn't do anything for a while because wanted to be this big grand thing, and then right. uh it seems like you're into like putting together really elaborate things well yeah that and came like, into it later i mean it yeah. really wasn't even you know I, 
before we even like really go into it, I'll just say that, I mean, this was the first project I ever worked on that just happened completely almost out of my control. It wasn't something that I, it wasn't like a mission that I set out on. It wasn't like something that we embarked on. It was like, um, just one thing just started happening after another, after another, almost after like another. the complete opposite of like putting together a band and working on an album for a couple of years and like presenting this huge thing to the world. It was oh, like, yeah. you started really small, but then people were like, more people started wanting to engage with it. And then eventually it was like, ah, oh, crap, I need to do something with this. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess it goes, I guess it goes back like a few years before, before we actually even started it, you know, um, my wife and I, uh, after my son was born, uh, she had become a yoga instructor and I was pushing some of the intervenous stuff because we had quit for a while doing intervenous. But when Storm King started, I needed a label to put Storm King stuff out on and intervenous got picked back up again. And um, and I've never wanted to have like when we first started intervenous back in, in 2001. Uh, it was a vehicle to put our own albums out. But even back then, like I didn't want a label that was just look at me, look at me, look at me. Like I wanted something that would, that would have more people involved. Like I wanted a collective, like of, of some sort that would not only just have more people working on things together, but would just be like, uh, just a neat network. You know, I always liked the idea and the concept of record labels and people were, um, at that time, I mean, at, at around 2000 is when people were kind of like, almost like moving away from the idea of record labels like oh we've got the internet now and we can you know we've, we can record stuff in our rooms and we don't need record labels anymore but i never ever believed in that because i always think that a record label is more than just um more than just this entity that steals artists money you know and things like sure, that sure. i mean I, I really believe that a, a well-run record label is a is a it's sort of a source that you can go to and you can find other bands that you like and that you enjoy. I mean, when I was growing up, it was like you could, um, you know, you could almost count on that if you got an album and it was on a certain label that maybe you could look on that label for other bands and yeah. you would find something that would also appeal to you. So it created this network and I always liked that aspect of it. Um, so anyhow, uh, once, um, I had dropped it for a few years and got back with Storm King and then we were doing it again. We needed to get, I wanted to do that again, get more bands and stuff. And so one thing sort of led to another, led to another, led to another. And then that just started consuming like all of my time. And my wife was going through all of these yoga trainings to become an instructor. And that was consuming all of her time. And we had this son, you know, who was kind of, unfortunately getting a little bit of neglect, which I felt horrible about later, which I'll, I'll probably get to in a minute, but, um, so anyhow, with all of this stuff that was going on, being new parents and her doing all of the yoga training and me doing all of the intervenous stuff, um, it, we just all, it just kind of like crumbled our marriage a bit, you know, and it, um, it really pulled us, um, really pulled us apart. You know, we never saw each other. Like I was working this job living in Monroeville and I worked out in Robinson, which oh, wow. if, if you're not from around yeah. here, uh, that is through both sets of tunnels in Pittsburgh. <laughs> uh, so my job was taking up, uh, you know, I was working about 50 to 60 hours a week plus an hour each way commute. So like we never saw each other, you know, it came down to like, I would get home and we'd kind of like pass off Maddox and she would go to a yoga class or whatever, or, you know, some, one of her trainings and I would hang out, uh, 
which is actually how we started playing video games to tie this whole conversation <laughs> back together. You yeah. know, me and Maddox started playing uh, Lego Star Wars was our very first video game. Uh, okay. Um, but anyhow, so so we, we, we completely fell apart, my wife and I. Um, and there was, a, there was a point there where we were talking about divorce and it was a dark, dark, dark time in our lives. And, and through all of this, uh, at one point I, I, I quit doing music almost entirely. You know, it's sort of like there was a, a year that followed this where I had like all these albums that had been planned before and I was trying to put those out, but I was just sort of like broken at that time. So like I was in like 2012 was all just half-assed efforts. And I think we still put out like five albums that year and it was just kind of like, oh, here, here's this album, here's this album, here's this, you know? Yeah. And, um, so in the in the in looking at all this i mean at that time we had been married for 10 years you know we have a four year old son at that time you know and we're just kind of like what are we going to do with this you know what are we going to do with this life and how are we going to put this back together and what what went wrong like where did we make the wrong turn like how did we end up in this position and uh you know i mean those conversations were just, I mean, they could go on and on for a while, but ultimately it came down to like, we just drifted apart, you know, we drifted apart in our things. And, and it was like, if we're going to rebuild this, if we're going to try and, and hold this together and, and move forward, like, what do we need to be doing? Like, how do we, how do we try and salvage this? And, and ultimately it came down to like, we needed to spend some time together and we needed to um, figure out what it, what it was that made us so happy 10 years earlier. Like, why did we get married in the first place? Why did we decide it was a good idea to have a son? Why did yeah. we, why did we do all of these things? Cause there were reasons certainly, you know, and I don't think any of those reasons were gone. We had just lost, lost some touch with it. And, uh, so she started teaching me some yoga. And, uh, at one point I, I left and I think this was in, uh, February of 2012. I left, uh, my, my mom and her husband, they bought a house, uh, on the border of Ohio and West Virginia. And it was on 40 acres of land up on this mountain. And, uh, so I went down there and I fasted for like 15 days. I didn't eat. And, uh, I just started doing yoga and I came home and I just sort of like, well, we need to make this work. Like we need to figure something out. Like that was this definitive moment. And, um, so we were doing a lot of like, um, trying to spend some time together and talk about things and like what kinds of things we could do. And, and the, the question came up is when were we the absolute happiest? Like when were we doing things that made us like, Oh yes, this is what life is for us. And, and really it came back to that time in 2000, 2001 when we were starting intervenous and when we were in this band together called bottom feeder. And, uh, it was, it was a really cool time where, like I said, I mean, she was a graphic designer and I was a musician and we were able to take all of that stuff and, and put it together in a way like she was doing album art and I was making music and she, you know, I got her to come into the band and, and, and sing with me for a while. And then it was a really cool time. And it, 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 we were kind of young then and it didn't, it didn't quite work the way we wanted to back then, but you know, we were like, well, let's, let's try and do something together. You know, let's try and like figure out something that we can do together that brings both of our worlds together. So we're not going in different directions when we need to do our things. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, one of the things that she had wanted to do was, uh, well, let's start here. You know, let's, uh, let's find some music. Can you make me basically a mixtape that, um, for my yoga classes, 
that sort of embody my personality more than like the yoga, you know, yoga CDs that you would go out <laughs> to a store and buy, you know, is there something out there, you know, that, that you can put together that, that would do that. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. You know, we were in the car this one day and there was this, uh, uh, Boren and der club of gore. It's a German, uh, doom jazz band. And they, um, we were listening to that and she was like this, this is awesome. I see I could do yoga to this and this would be great. Like, and so we, we had, we were on this road trip. I think we might've been going to my mom's house or something. I forget where, but, um, so, you know, just like, okay, well, what about this? And what about this? You know, what about this? You know? So we had these other, you know, like sleep's dope smoker album was played and, you know, a couple other things. And we're like, yeah, that's a good idea. So, so I got this idea and I'm like, all right. And I kind of put together a couple songs for it and, you know, based on my own collection. And I'm like, okay. You know, and she thought it was, she was like, yeah, more, more of this. And, and I'm like, all right. And I started taking some of the classes and I thought that was, that was kind of cool. And, um, you know, and I kind of left the, left the scene at this time. Cause like I said, I mean, my shit was in shambles. I mean, financially, um, totally separate from our, well, I mean, I guess it's not totally separate because no marriage is totally separate from finances, but, uh, on a financial level, um, I mean, I had just lost so much money in, in doing intervenous cause it was always a, a passion project. It was always, yeah. you know, I never really thought of it as like, this is what's going to make me rich. I did always hope that maybe someday it would be sustainable that I'd be able to do it. But it, you know, so far that's never been the case so far. It's just been nothing but a money pit. And like, yeah. I end up with cool albums, you know, and I end up with, like you said, like you go through, you go through boxes of stuff and you yeah. get to see all the stuff that you have. I'm an archive archive archivist archival yeah i know what you mean i, I have know what the word is, yeah right i have a, everything hoarder. that i've ever done a hoarder <laughs> uh everything that i've ever been a part of whether it's a, an album or a uh, poster or anything like that somewhere i have this yeah. place in my house where i have everything um so i have a really cool collection of that shit which is great uh but you know financially it was just bankrupting right you know i did actually file bankruptcy at one point and then before that seven years was up i got hit for like at, uh right at a really horrible time uh got taken for like four thousand dollars all at one time and it's four thousand dollars that i would have spent anyhow but i wasn't expecting it at that moment because i thought things were in line and they weren't and yeah. next thing i know i'm four grand in the hole like right after christmas you know so it was uh it just, it was a, it was a terrible time. So, but anyhow, um, so we started doing this and, uh, I'm like, all right, cool. So now I have one, one of these darker yoga mixes in the bag, you know, which was like, uh, a band called horseback, uh, sun, uh, sleep was on it. Um, uh, you know, and I had, I've always been real into trip hop. So there was this band called Morchiba on that for, on that first mix. And there was, uh, a couple other things and you know and i've never really liked uh single path genre like i'm always yeah i'm always uh you know pushing the envelope to see how many different styles of things that i'm into can i coherently put together you know i don't totally. want to just shock people i'm not trying to like say here's a punk rock song and here is a trip-hop song and like it or else you know like i've always tried to find a way to seamlessly flow the two together um, and sometimes you got to go through a few steps to get from point A to point B. So there's sure. other genres that end up getting thrown in there too. Um, so like, so I had this mix and I'm like, okay, so this is what, this is it. This is what we want to do. And she's like, yes, this is perfect. So, um, so I didn't think that I, 
really had the tools or the collection large enough to do it just by myself. So I was kind of like looking around the internet and around my friends lists and things like that and thinking of people that I knew and who and this and that. And, um, and there was this guy, Chad Hammett, who was in Agnes Wired for yeah, Sound. No, Chad. And uh, he, I, I actually wasn't even friends with him at that point, but we had met a couple of times at different shows and he had always kind of said, Hey man, I'd like to work with you sometime. Hey, I'd like to work with you sometime. You know, in hindsight, I come to find out that he used to run that ICOM, that Iron City Underground music yeah. thing, which was, I didn't even know because like I said, that was during my couple years off of the music scene. So it's like, I was doing a lot of things and then I dropped off. And when I dropped off, he was kind of coming out with that Iron City Underground. Yeah. And then he dropped off right before I was coming uh -huh. back in. So we missed each other's wave completely. Yeah. And, um, but uh, anyhow, so... I started looking up some things that he had done online and I was like, well, I don't like all of this stuff just as I'm sure he doesn't like all of my stuff. But I'm like, when the two are together, I think we might have some chemistry that might work for what we're trying to do. I mean, there's uh, so it wouldn't just be my collection. I could take, I could go to his collection, which he has a lot more of a, a goth side to things and a lot more of a um, electronica side yeah. of things and even though i've been into both of those things not nearly as heavily as he has and even though he's been into some metal stuff and and some uh some of this other darker drone stuff not nearly as much as i have so i thought that the two together would be really interesting so i contacted him uh, we met up and we talked about it and he thought it was a really cool idea so we just started getting together every week and uh, working on these mixes and it was basically just like um, the first thing we had to do was like go through our libraries and like pull out all the bands that we thought could possibly work for this and then just start making essentially like mixtapes, you know, uh, yeah. but, but not just like, a, not just like an iTunes playlist, not just like, you know, a lot of, a lot of yoga classes you go into or something, they'll just have like a song and then another song and then another song. Like we wanted to make more of like a, a overall just like a big mix where there was no lull in it where like sure. you could listen to it in a class and like one song would kind of like seamlessly flow over into another one. And, um, so we spent a lot of time on that and it was pretty cool. And, and it, I remember like, like we would make one and then I would take it home to Kimmy and she would listen to it and she would talk about like what she liked and what she didn't like about it. And then, uh, we'd take it into a yoga class and we would try it out and see how it would sound with the class. And, and then we'd take it back into the studio and like revamp it a little bit to make it fit better or, or whatever. So, um, so we just started doing that, you know, after making a couple of them, it was like some of the music, I mean, she wasn't going to be able to take it into her, you know, she works at like some fitness studios or she works in some traditional yoga studios and things like that. Not everyone is going to dig this. Yeah. So we made a, a class like we just made a, uh, we contacted uh, Commonwealth Press because they, you know, this print shop in the South Side and they have um, this room in the back that's referred to as the murder room. And they have, it's just like an old storage room or whatever, real shitty concrete floor, cinder block walls, leaking ceiling, you know, yeah. things like that. And uh, they had cleaned it out and they were, every once in a while, they would do a show in there or something. So we were like, well, hey, that's a random space that's like empty and doesn't have anything going on. And uh, Mark Bagaki, who was in my band Storm King, uh, he worked there. And so I'm like, you know, just through doing, you know, the years of Intervenus and getting shirts printed there and stuff, we were just like, hey, what do you think about this? And they're like, 
yeah, sounds cool, whatever, you know. And so yeah. we just so we started doing that, and um, uh, one of the street team members from Intervenus, this guy Lee Barton, he worked at this hair salon in in Shady Side called uh, Nadia Salon. And he was like, well, what about doing it here? And we're like, okay, you know, why not? And because the place is set up, like everything's on wheels. So like all the, the seats that you would sit in and all their little benches that hold their combs and scissors and yeah. stuff. So we could roll everything out of the way and just have an open floor space. And oh, cool. uh, so we just started those two classes, just like one was on a Tuesday and one was on a Thursday. And uh, we made a flyer where we just straight stole the sun logo and uh their monoliths and dimensions album cover just to like it was like punk rock you know it was like yeah. hey you know like let's just make a cut and paste flyer in the digital age you know and uh and just put it out there and then that way people who are familiar with this type of music will automatically know what this class is about and that's exactly what happened i mean that is ex it worked <laughs> perfectly it was yeah. like all the right people showed up we were like fuck man this is great <laughs> and um so after doing that for I don't know, maybe it didn't take long. I mean, like a month, people like started talking about it. Just like the word of mouth somehow got to, um, I'm going to say the wrong dude, but any, I can't remember who wrote the first article, but World Magazine uh, got wind of it somehow. Well, it was a writer who had done stuff for Point Park College and God damn it, if I can't remember his name, I'm sorry if you hear this, I'm an asshole. Uh, <laughs> But anyhow, he wrote this article, and it was a really cool article. And because of the internet, articles online go everywhere. I mean, it's not just like just Pittsburgh. And so people started hearing about it more. And then uh, Margaret Welsh, I do remember her name, <laughs> Margaret yeah. Welsh from the City Paper, who does yoga and is into this style of music, was like, I'm going to write about this too. And she actually showed up to one of our classes then and, and took the class and was into it. And she wrote an article and then that article got even more, uh, spin buzz, buzz and more people started <laughs> yeah. talking about it. And it just sort of kept going like that. And, uh, there was a guy who used to do, uh, promote shows here. And he was talking to one of the guys from Southern Lord records and said, Hey, have you heard of this black yoga thing that's going on here in Pittsburgh? And he was like, no, what is it? So the guy had sent him a link to the city paper article. And next thing I know, Southern Lord was posting on their page, look, it's Sun Yoga, you know, and because, you know, we were taking all their imagery, you know, like, a, and so for a minute, I was really scared. <laughs> I thought there was going to come like some cease and desist, but ultimately, like, they don't own the logo either because they stole it from the amp company. So it was kind of, uh, it's kind of like, okay. And, and it turned out that, well, at least from what I gather, I guess they liked the idea. And so that's when it went from being like something in Pittsburgh to something in the world. Like that's when, like when sun posted that or when Southern Lord posted that on their site, like within a couple hours, it had like 4,000 likes on it yeah. and all these shares and people started talking about it. And then other magazines started contacting us and, you know, and at this point, I mean, we are literally just making mixtapes doing yoga in the back of a warehouse, you know? And, uh, it was really weird. It was really weird. I remember getting this three-page spread in Decibel Magazine in 2013, and I was just like, I've been running a fucking record label for 15 <laughs> years, okay? I've been pitching you every single band I've ever worked with, and it's the yoga class that gets you to write about us. You know what I mean? Like, it was really surreal, like a yeah. super strange experience. And um, 
and so it just kind of went on like that. But it was always just a yoga class for a long time. We were doing this. And then, you know, me and Chad, I mean, both coming from being in bands and, and Kimmy had mentioned it before too, uh, just the idea of why don't we start making our own music? You know, like, why don't we start doing some of this stuff? And it was kind of like, uh, okay, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll, sure. I mean, you know, but that wasn't really what it was about. You know, I was still trying to get my shit together in my life and trying to like pull all this stuff back together. And I was actually doing the yoga and doing this whole project because of how it was making me feel and what I was doing with my life. And when I pulled back away from the scene and when I just started focusing on my own life and focusing on my family and spending time with my son again and spending time with my wife again and doing all of these things, it was like I was finding this contentment that I hadn't had in like years. Yeah. And, um, and, and really, it, I, I don't know that that's, that's what it was about. It was about that feeling and about that progress. Um, but we got the idea at one point, like maybe we could, maybe we can make a DVD, you know, maybe we could make a, a yoga DVD or a yoga video. Anyhow, I don't know if it had really been thought about doing a DVD at that point, but it was like, maybe we should like do something on YouTube. Cause people were asking about it all the time. Like, is there anything online that we can watch? Can we watch it? Cause people were reading about yeah. these classes. Did, did you ever have anybody like come like, travel to yeah. come to a class yeah there was this um there were writers uh from different publications who would actually come from like new york or from wherever to actually come take the class wow. and be in it and experience it um there was a lady from uh washington dc who loved the idea so much that she wanted to start something similar in dc uh and at first she wanted to start like like another chapter of black yoga, but we weren't sure what we wanted to do with it yet. I mean, it was just kind of like, I don't know, you know, this is sort of our thing and it's very personal to us because of how we started it and everything. Like we wanted to kind of just keep it as me and Kimmy's Kimmy's thing. So we're like, eh, could you not use the name? And they were like, sure. And so they ended up starting darkest yoga, but they came, uh, she came here to just take the class and just be a part of, and you know, on a Greyhound in the middle of February and arrived here like hours before the class and had to just walk around Southside in the bitter cold and then took the class because we were doing a class. At that point, we had moved from um, Murder Room. We were doing something at Schwartz Market. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, there have been travelers, like That's people really who cool. have just come to, come to do it. And um, so, you know, with the idea of making this video, uh, so because in the articles or in the comments section, you know, in emails, in messages, you know, because when you, when people are writing about you everywhere and like tagging your Facebook page or tagging this or that, like people started contacting us, you know what I mean? And just started saying, oh, bring this to here, bring this to there. Like, what, how can I, you know, I want to be a part of this. I want to watch this. Do you have anything online? You know, because I mean, that's a big thing in, in like yoga, like these yoga instructors are doing like a YouTube page where like you can be at home and you can do yoga right there in the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Uh, but you have a, a teacher there to, to guide you. And um so we thought that would be kind of cool and we started talking about it and I had previously done this, um, the Iron Atrocity series uh, back in 2011. Uh, I started, it was a compilation series uh, of music, but then working with uh, this guy, Craig Anderson, who did the PittsburghScene.com yeah. and then uh, Joe Stammerjohn from Eyes in the Sky Films, we started a, an online video show for a while back then and that, that did like maybe eight episodes, seven or eight episodes, I'm not sure. Uh, and we quit doing that, but, but then, so I contacted Joe again and I was like, Hey, would you be interested in filming this? You know? Uh, and we, we sat down and we talked about it for a while, but 
we came up with kind of like the ideas for what we would do if we did it, but we just didn't have the funds. We didn't have the time or the means to really make it happen at that point. So we sort of shelved the idea. But um, there was this guy, Eric Corbin, who came to a class one time and he runs this uh, Screaming Crow Records that we're on now. Um, and previously before Screaming Crow, like years, when I first moved to Pittsburgh in 97, he, uh, he ran a label called Decor Records, and that was sort of like the who's who of hardcore at that time. Like all these, uh, you know, he was a singer for a band called Endless, and there were bands like um, Built Upon Frustration and uh, other hardcore bands from the late 90s, early 2000s. And he had done this Steel City Aggression compilation series, which was really the, um, was really the um, inspiration for when I did Iron Atrocity. And in the, okay. in the first Iron Atrocity, I even call him out, like, and I explain that story. Um, I remember it was 97. I moved here. I was living in Dormont on Illinois Avenue and right up at the top of Illinois Avenue was this uh, record store. The exchange was up there and I went yeah. there and I bought like a handful of local records because what I came here was for was music. So I bought a handful of local records and there aside from his record label, he also had a magazine called Decor Magazine. And then it was like a classified section that just had a list of all the local bands in Pittsburgh. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. This is exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> and it became like a roadmap for how to find my way around the, the Pittsburgh scene That's at that awesome. time. And I was in that band, The Bully Cats, and I was always trying to push it to him. And I don't think he was really interested because we weren't really that good. Um, <laughs> but like years, years, uh, there was always like this mutual acquaintance. Like we always had an acquaintance uh, yeah. or, or we were always acquaintances and we would run into each other at different times. And, and then when we started Black Yoga, he showed up at a class one time because he's got some various, you know, health things, I guess, or body things. Who, who doesn't, right? Sure. So he wanted to come and take a class and check it out. Or maybe he was casing us. I don't know. There, he could have been coming to check us out. Like maybe he had an idea brewing back then. I don't know. But so he comes to a class and checked it out. And then maybe like six months or so later, after sort of the media had picked up, you know, now he's running Screaming Crow Records, and um, he had just been in a couple of bad deals where he hadn't, you know, really been putting out records for a little bit because of the financial like impact that, that had on his life. And so he came up with this. He's like, "Hey guys, have you ever thought about doing a DVD?" We're like fuck man we just had this conversation you yeah. know like we just came up with all the blueprints for this so sure you know like let, let's talk about it so i got back together with joe got back together with uh you know all the people with chad and we hadn't me and chad hadn't made mixes in uh, about a year at that point we were sort of just like doing the yoga to the mixes at that point mm -hmm. we weren't making any more right then um so we were like sure we can we can do it but um we should consider making it with all original music because the legal process of going in and getting the rights to all the songs that we were using on these mixtapes just didn't seem like something we really wanted to embark on. You know, like some of them we could get. I mean, a lot of the bands we're using, they're, they're underground bands or whatever. But, sure. You know, but we weren't ever limiting ourselves. I mean, we've gone all the way from using like just local dudes from around here to like Peter Gabriel. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> yeah. there's a huge gamut there, you know, yeah. like how are we going to obtain the rights to all this stuff? And let's just let's if we're going to make a DVD, we might as well just go all out and put together a band. And um, so actually, so back to that band bottom fear when we first started intervenus and stuff like there were a lot of ideas that never got realized and so we kind of took some of those ideas and reapplied them here for this band uh to create like i just started picking people from the scene like who i thought like had sort of an i and sort of something something there that would really add to what we were doing um 
so there were members of Vulture and there were members of my band Storm King and there were members of other bands. You know, Chad was involved from Agnes Wired for Sound and then we got a dude from Death Crawl in Cleveland to play and um, this uh, dude from Chicago and this group Secret, uh, well, it's not a group, it's a dude, this Secret, Secret Prime. Um, you know, and these are all just like people that I had been working with over the years through Intervenus. And yeah. uh, uh, so now rather than like, rather than trying to make a mix of all these different bands, we were just like putting together a band that could kind of play different styles of music. And, uh, and so that's really how it just came to be. And then, and we never, you know, so you were talking about like putting together these big projects. It was like, it just sort of put itself together over the years. It was like, you know, this was the very first project that I personally never even pitched. I never pimped it. I never sent out a press kit. I never like, I never asked anyone to interview us or give us an article or anything. Like it all just happened organically. And I consciously, Kimmy and I made a decision to like, let's not, let's just never do that and see what happens. Let's just see where this goes on its own. Yeah. And so until like this album, which I'm, st we're still not the ones doing it. Now it's the label doing it or the distribution company that's doing yeah. it. Like we've never asked for anything. And that's like, and it's easily the largest thing we've ever been a part of. So like it, it was pretty immaculate how that happened. Like I can't even really still wrap my mind all the way <laughs> around it. Um, but you know, that's how it came to be. And the band, so you want to talk about putting together the band. We never even wrote a single song. Like we, we had a couple ideas, but we just went into the studio and jammed. Like we just like jammed. It's all like we wanted to treat the music just like we would treat a yoga class. Like we wanted to just make it like, how are we feeling today? How are we getting into these notes the same way as how are we getting into these poses? Sure. You know, so like um, I think we we started putting people in a room together in maybe in December, but, um, yeah, but so like December, January and February was just like getting together with a few people. And at first it was just, uh, me and Chad and we got, um, uh, this girl, uh, Danielle Camiso and we got, um, this guy, Nick, uh, DeMaio who had been taking the classes. Um, and we just started like, Improving and, and just putting a mic in the middle of the room and just recording some of those. Oh, okay. And uh, and one day we did just a like like a four and a half hour jam session, and it was all improv, all just off the cuff and see what happened. And it was like just four people in a room just playing with weird instruments. Everyone seems to be multi instrumentalists that we're working with, so like everyone was just kind of like, you know hanging out and just switching it up and just recording always recording and then um chad and i sat down uh and just out of that out of that four and a half hours we whittled it down to a half an hour and that became like the demo and then we took that demo and never really practiced those songs again we just went into the studio and when <laughs> we were in the studio we would play a song and then we'd be like okay let's go record that and only now, instead of with the four of us, how about with seven of us? Yeah. You know, like, so, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. I'll tell you what, man, it was a post-production nightmare to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, because uh, we wanted to go really big and we ended up in the studio because, like I said, we started jamming on this stuff in like December, maybe January even, because I know that, that that date was January 21st that we actually recorded that four and a half hours to make the demo. 
and we were in the studio by March 24th or something like okay. that. Um, and when we went into the studio, it was it was 21 people, and some of them had never even met before, let alone played together before. And uh, and we t ended up taking in three drum sets and four guitar stacks. Not even just like we were recording stupidly, like we were recording for experience, not for like everything you know about recording just fucking forget it like it was all out the window because we wanted to capture those moments of that improv sounding jam and uh, in between takes and stuff we had a couple like we would do yoga like right in the studio and we would really, really cross cool. those things over um, to get people into that moment because you know there were there's a there's a group of us that are all in both. There's a group of us that are into the yoga and into the music, but there's also some people who were just into the music. And then there's also some people who were just into the yoga, but <laughs> in the studio, it was like kind of a, a, a mix of both. So we tried to like bring both sides in so that everyone could experience both sides of it. Yeah. And, um, you know, so when you've got three drum sets, four guitar stacks, three bass rigs, and you've got a cello player and a violinist and a keyboard player and like four vocalists and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, yeah, mix that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it was, it was really hard. And some of this, and the studio, um, we went to Tree Lady Studios, which was a perfect location for this. It's this huge room and it's got these beautiful windows that like yeah. shines this light in. So it was a real nice place to do something like this. Um, and it, as as qualified as the studio is, they weren't prepared for something like this either. I mean, they didn't know like, whoa. I went in a, about a couple weeks earlier just to sort of like give them a roadmap of, you know, this is what I'm about to be wheeling into your studio. Please try and not die. You yeah, know, like, yeah. please be a little bit mentally prepared for what we're about to do. And they were like, holy shit. And uh, they, they were happy that I came in because they never in a million years would have even been close to prepared had I not. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, when you're in a band, uh, any kind of band, but I'll just talk from my own experience. You're in a metal band. You practice and you practice and you practice and you got maybe like a five piece band, which is what my which is what Storm King was. You got a five piece band. You know, you got two guitar players, a drummer, a bass player and a vocalist. And you guys all know your parts because you've been practicing them. I mean, we came in with none of that. None of that. We came in with like no songs written. You know, no established formula. I mean, I did have an itinerary of things that I wanted to get done that day and a schedule of like how we were going to approach it. But as far as like, okay, we start on A and we play this 15 times and then we go into this and, you know, there was no verse, chorus, verse, chorus structure. There were no hooks. There was no, you know, there was nothing. And, and then, you know, I remember recording a couple of the songs um, are very ambient sounding and, and, you know, no drums or anything. And we went for like half of a day recording music like that to like, then it was Vulture's turn and there were like three drummers coming in and they were just like, whoa, we got to move all these mics. This isn't working at all. Like, like, you know, so like, and some of those songs ended up like, even though the, the mics maybe have been fucked up, the takes and the magic that came out in the music was the best. So we were like, but it's got to stay. So we had to figure out how to make certain things work, even though like maybe you couldn't hear a Tom, uh, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just, it was bizarre. It was hard. And, um, and Mark Palmieri, uh, who at first he had, he had written us, he had written us a, a collection of six songs and he gave it to us before we ever even started this project. He gave this thing to us and, and it was like all cello, like layers and layers and layers of cello with effects and stuff. And it sounded like guitars and awesome. You know, some of it was like just, he had, he had layered this stuff with effects that made it just sound like these huge pieces. And we're like, Oh, 
Um, so, you know, he gave us that stuff and, you know, but he did all that on his own in a room like, you know, very similar to this, you know, and, um, but then that day he was coming in just as a musician just to play cello on stuff because we were going to re-record some of those songs and, and try some new jams and new ideas. But like at the end of the three days, I, you know, over the weekend, I started thinking, I'm like, what are we going to do with all these tracks when we leave here? You know, so I'm like, you know, Mark had done a lot of recording, like especially during the Iron Atrocity era uh, for Intervenus because like, you know, there were all kinds of bands who wanted to be on the comp, but they didn't have new songs. So I'd be like, hey, go see Mark and Mark would record their songs yeah. and end up putting them on the on the comp. And um, I was like, hey, man, uh, so you are now the uh, you're now the mixing and, and editing guy. And he was like, OK, dude. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and he had no idea what he was getting into because <laughs> it ended up just, you know, just months, months and months of like, you know, just trying to, you know, trying to just move things around and nothing's to a click and nothing was like, I mean, it was, it was hard, man. It was a real hard process. And when you listen to the album now, it's like not perfect. You know, it's not, it's punk rock. You know I mean? Like, I mean, it's not punk rock, but like the, the essence of it in a way is, I mean, there's, there's known error and we would take those error and we'd be like, what do we do with this? Do we cut it? Do we leave it? Do we move past it? And, you know, and we did a little bit of all of that, you know, because we ended up with way more material than we needed, luckily. Um, but, uh, but there's things, there's times where you'll be listening to the album and you're like, that's fucked up. And it's like, yeah, but like without that thing being fucked up, all of this other great stuff couldn't have been possible, <laughs> you know? So it just, you know, it is what it is. And we have new plans for the next one. So I don't know. We'll see. That's the story. That's how it all took off. And that's, that's how, crazy. The, that's how the overall scheme of things came together. It's not like I sat down, you know, three years ago and went, we're going to start this yoga class so that we can be in decibels so that we can put out this album on some record label. I mean, that was never even a thought. It was like to save our lives. And yeah. then it became this. So I like it. Yeah. Well, shit. I think we could probably wrap it up on that. Um, that's really, really cool. Um, you want to pitch any stuff with the, 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 you got a release yeah. coming up. I could see here the DVD uh, release party. Yeah, the album is uh, the album and the DVD. It ended up getting finished. Uh, I mean, it actually took us all that time. We just finished it like a, a like a month ago. If yeah, that, you know. Yeah, that makes and, sense. Uh, but it's coming out <clears throat> October thirtieth. Uh, Screaming Crow Records and it's worldwide and it's pretty cool and pre-sales are up now all over the place I mean you can go to Amazon and pre-sale it and uh, our Bandcamp page which is just blackyoga.bandcamp.com Is the music available on there now? Yeah well some tracks I think we're doing the full album stream like maybe a week before the cool. album comes out or something but um, there's a couple tracks up there now uh, and just black-yoga.com is where our home base is I guess and uh, Facebook, of course, and Twitter and all the all the special places like that. But then yeah. the night before the album comes out, uh, we're having a record release show or a DVD release party at Union Project in Highland Park. Okay. Um, and so that'll be pretty cool. Like it's a huge room. You've been to the Union Project? No, I no, it's an old it's an old church that they renovated basically into like a community center and um, giant room, stained glass windows, beautiful place. And um, there we we were doing, they have another room called the atrium. It's a semi-circle room that we actually had yoga classes in there, black yoga classes for about a year. Uh, so we're going back to that place into the great hall, which holds, I don't know how many, but hundreds of people uh, can go in there. And so we're doing a free event that people can come and we're going to, uh, 
do like a little talk at the beginning and then at, at seven o'clock that's at six thirty, and then at seven o'clock on the 29th we're doing like a, a yoga class where everyone can come in and and we're going to project the dvd onto a, a screen so that everyone can actually take part in the class oh, cool. to the dvd at the event or not i mean the room's big enough and i i always have kind of had this idea that like not everyone has to do it all the time like i kind of see this future where maybe we end up in a live circuit where like the band is playing and we could still have a yoga class, but like maybe people who aren't into yoga could still watch the band. Yeah. And, you know, the band isn't playing that night, but people could still come and get a feeling for what it's going to be like, you know, and kind of maybe stand around the outskirts. And in the front lobby area, we're going to have like food and uh, things like that. The Pittsburgh Juice Company, they just bought the 31st Street Pub. Oh, okay. When the 31st Street Pub sold without announcing it to anybody, you know, afterwards, Joel was like, I remember reading on Facebook, he was like, and the, you know, the juice people bought it and they're good people. So be nice to them. So we're like, okay, we'll be nice to them. And we ended up contacting them and saying, Hey, we all used to go to the 31st street pub, but now you're a juice company and we're doing a yoga event. Do you want to come sling some juice at our yoga event? And they were like, cool. So they're coming and they're giving away free samples of their juice. And, uh, so that'll be interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, Chad works at Zeke's coffee. Uh, so the Zeke's coffee guys are going to be there and doing some of that. And, uh, you know, just kind of make it like a little, meet and greet kind of gathering with the yoga involved and with all the people there. And so that'll be, that'll be pretty cool. And it's free. So there's really no reason not to come out to it. I'll try to come. It sounds awesome. I, I don't, I do want to check it out. I'm very, very intrigued by all of this stuff. I've never done anything with yoga in my life, right? Yeah. But I, I am intrigued. So cool, man. Let me come, let me come check it out. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming over. Absolutely. I think this has been uh, really cool. So yeah. You're cool. <laughs> all, right, all right. And we will stop this now. And that is all, folks. Thanks so much for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. Scott is a good dude. And holy shit, he's a fucking talker. That guy can talk, which is good. You know, just makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, uh, I wish nothing but Scott the best. I'm definitely going to check out the Black Yoga DVD release show. I'm really, really intrigued by this whole thing. In the, the, the concept of, you know, putting your mind at peace and ease temporarily seems like something that I should look into. So I'm going to check it out. I will. I'm going to for sure. And uh, as always, well... <laughs> I feel kind of like a hypocrite saying it now, but as usually, maybe hopefully, I'll be back next week again with another episode. Same time, same place, same channel. I am Sykes. Start the beat. 2015. Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening.